the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast, where we discuss the earth, air, fire, water, and spirit elements of building a thriving, successful creative business and life. I'm your host, Sarah. I'm so happy to be with you today. Thank you, as always, for being here. If you're just tuning in for the first time, really excited to have you here. If you're returning, really excited that you keep coming back. Thank you for that. So today I have a really great conversation with a woman named Brooke Daniels, and we're going to talk about a bunch of really valuable things from sales to managing finance and how to build and leverage business credit, and also um, Brooke's story about moving from the corporate sales space into the wellness space. Lots of amazing things are covered in this conversation. But before we do that, I just want to give you a quick heads up about something I have coming up that I would love to invite you into. If you are an artist, a creative, or a healer, and you know that you want to start a business, but you haven't started yet, and the things that are holding you up are, number one, could do, but I'm not really sure which one I'm going to turn into a business yet or how to blend all the things I do into a business that makes sense. Number two, I don't really know exactly how to package what I do into an offer that I can sell or how to price it or who would buy it. Don't really know how to do that. Number three, don't really have an audience built up yet to sell to. So I don't even really know if I did have an offer, who I would sell to or how, because I need more people following me first before I can sell. And number four, I don't have any cash coming in and I need more money coming in right away so that I can even start to think about investing more into my business, like getting business education, getting a coach, starting to invest in advertising or anything like that, need money coming in. To do that, well, guess what? Those are the most common reasons that I hear from people about why they're not ready to join the Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven or to work one-on-one in coaching. And so I made something for that. It's called Elemental Foundations. It is a 12-week sprint to clarify and kick off your heart-centered business. The first day of the program is January 30th. It's priced super accessibly. Um, We're going to work together for 12 weeks to first figure out exactly what it is that your business is going to be, create you your first offer, something that you can comfortably put out right away. We're going to build you a very strategic and simple marketing plan. We're going to start bringing people into your business's world, and we're going to end the program with a 20-day sales sprint all together. So you're actually going to be selling with support and encouragement during the program. So you're, if you come in and you do the work, you're going to leave the program making money with your business established and real money coming in. You're not just going to learn concepts and have to apply them on your own later. We're going to be building and implementing together during the program. The entire call schedule is up on the link I'm going to put in the show notes so you can make sure that the days work for you, but it's two calls a month, Slack support in between, quick and dirty. You're in and you're out with your business set up at a price point that 
is very accessible for the majority of folks. So I really hope that you, if you are struggling with any one of those problems and that is what has been stopping you year after year from starting your business, let's solve those problems and get you out of that rut, right? Let's just get going. So now I'm going to talk to you about our guest today. Our guest today is Brooke Daniels. Brooke has over a decade of experience in tech, startups, and venture capital, and she's the CEO of Daniels & Co., a business strategy firm supporting entrepreneurs focused on maximizing profit and scalability. She's also the co-founder of Alsace Legacy Group, which helps founders build business credit and access funding for their startups. After a successful corporate career, Brooke decided to follow her purpose in life and passion for supporting entrepreneurs. She is a seasoned entrepreneur, having co-founded several successful businesses with her husband. She's a Chopra-certified meditation and wellness instructor who works with corporations and high-powered clients. She is a real estate and angel investor. She's an advisor for many organizations. She's a mentor to entrepreneurs with Techstars and for Pharrell Williams nonprofit. Black Ambition. Brooke holds an executive MBA uh, from UNC Keenan Flagler and is an advisor for their entrepreneurship program. So I'm telling y'all, this is somebody with a lot of important things to share with you about business. Many of us in the artist's creative healing business side, we don't have MBAs. We don't have a business background. We've never worked in corporate. There are a lot of things about the world of business we just don't know. And Brooke is like an infiltrator because she came from that corporate sales world. She came from that MBA world. And then she moved over into the meditation, wellness, spiritual, healing, somatic embodiment place. So she has a lot that she can share with us. And I'm very excited for you to hear our conversation today because we really do talk about both of those worlds together. So without further ado, I'm going to let you get into this conversation. And of course, all of Brooke's links and ways to follow her and get in touch with her are linked up in the show notes. Let's get into this episode. Hi, Brooke. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited that you're here with us on the podcast. And I wanted to see if maybe we can start with talking about what your corporate background was like and then what your decision was to leave corporate and start working on your own. Absolutely. So for me, my corporate background, I would say had some highs and lows, I'm definitely a very driven person. I've actually unlearned (laughs) some of that, I think, but I was just very intentional about where I was going and was always focused on how do I get to the next step. I wanted to be a CEO in corporate. And so uh, even though I started out uh, in project management, my first job out of college was in Germany, working in project management for a SAP, a large tech company. project, which was awesome being in Germany, but came back to the U.S., started at and and went into sales, uh, then transitioned into software sales. But if you've been in sales, I think in any industry, you know it's a very regimented 
uh, type process. There's a ladder that you go over, you move from one small business and you get better accounts and you sell bigger things and you kind of work the ladder. Uh, my experience was very much working that ladder. Um, I can say as a woman, as a black woman, definitely there were a lot of challenges experienced in that places where you don't feel seen, which I know is very common uh, for women and minorities in sales. At least when I started 10 plus years ago, it was a place where very often I was the only. So feeling lonely, feeling like I had to be not authentic and be something else to be successful. And so a lot of that is actually what led to me deciding to step off of that path because I was finding success in it. I did want to be at the top and was definitely starting to climb a sales leadership path, Uh, but I wasn't finding any purpose in my work. And I realized how burnout I was feeling, to be quite honest. This was January of 2020. I went to go see Oprah and she talked about living life in the flow and this concept of how when you're in purpose and in the flow, life doesn't have to feel like a struggle. And I looked around at my success and it was all a struggle. And that kind of kicked off the uh, the ball rolling for me, deciding to make some changes in my life. That's amazing. There are two things that you said there that are interesting to me because I, I hear parallels in the corporate experience with what I hear in the entrepreneurship experience and in the wellness world. I've talked to so many Black women and femmes about being in wellness spaces and meditation spaces where they're also the only and that that feels lonely. And so I wonder if you want to share anything about parallels you've experienced there. And then also entrepreneurship can be really lonely and challenging because so frequently people don't know any other entrepreneurs or people trying to start their own businesses. And they're so used to working. I mean, even just in an office where you have coworkers and people to chat with throughout the day and people to take problems to and people to complain about your clients or your boss with. And when you're a solo entrepreneur, you're spending so much of your time like alone with your laptop. So I wonder if you have felt parallels in those experiences in corporate and found that you feel them in a different way in the entrepreneurship space. Definitely. That's a great question and a really interesting perspective. I would say yes. Now, in the entrepreneurship space, I will say my husband and I, he's my life partner and business partner. So we we uh, own our companies together. We run them together. So that has been, I think, nice to have that support network, even though it comes with its own set of challenges. Um, but we've been fortunate to be very intentional on building community. And I think because I learned that lesson uh, in corporate around, you know, literally your success or failure, a lot of times in corporate isn't around your talent or how smart you are having the best idea. It's around the people, you know, and relationships. And so we knew right away that we needed community as entrepreneurs. And so we have some fantastic communities that we're a part of that give a lot of love. Um, For me, part of it was also beyond just entrepreneurship, but stepping into uh, venture capital, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about capital uh, later today um, and finding that community. And so I'm part of a group called uh, Black Venture Institute, which has been phenomenal. These are operators that have been in corporate. Many of them are now starting businesses, entrepreneurs, starting their own funds. But it's for us, it's about ecosystem building and having that network has been Tremendous. Uh, now, my pivot into the wellness space and mindfulness space started um, early 2020. And it is interesting because um, that is another space that doesn't have, um, I would say, large representation for uh, the Black community. But I do find, feel that's growing. And the one thing I'll say that's different around wellness and mindfulness compared to corporate is that 
corporate being in those spaces and being an only felt bad because you were in a space where people didn't want to necessarily include you. They didn't want it to change, right? And so you felt like you didn't belong. At least on the wellness mindfulness side, I love that everything is around grace, right? Come as you are. You are exactly where you're meant to be at this exact moment. And so even though you may find those moments where you don't have people around you that identify with you always from experiences or cultural understanding, we are able to connect on, I would say, um, even deeper levels in some way around spirituality and how we live life and choose to um, engage with the world. And that's a huge difference, I would say, in environments compared to corporate. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Another thought that I had that I would love for you to share is that the corporate background you're coming from is sales. And what's interesting, I'm thinking about so many of the people that I work with, even if they have a corporate background, they haven't worked in sales in any capacity ever. I frequently feel like I work with this like sea of specialists who are like, now I have to become in some ways a generalist, right? Like if you have always been, like I'll use my example, I've worked in in teaching in forever. So like I worked at tons of different studios, gyms, and I felt like when I started my own space, I've worked at so many studios, I must know everything about what it is to own a studio. And I'm like, well, no, because I just got to show up and teach. Maybe I worked the front desk sometimes, but I never had to be the person who created marketing plans or membership pricing or do any kind of neighborhood outreach. Like I never did any of that. I was not sales. I was not customer service. I got to just show up and teach. And so many of my people have that, right? Like they're breathwork facilitators, they're practitioners, they're artists, they've gotten to specialize in the thing they do for so long. And then when they shift into entrepreneurship, realize they know nothing about sales, they're actually really afraid of sales. Like sales is the biggest hurdle for most service-based entrepreneurs that I've worked with to overcome. And so I'm curious about transitioning from doing sales, because in my mind, I would think, A, you have a huge advantage. And that another advantage that I would guess that you have is that like, when you're doing sales for big companies, you're used to like saying big numbers to people and not being really intimidated by it, which I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, there's a huge hurdle that you go through of like, can I really say this price to someone on the phone and not throw up? <laughs> Definitely. Um, I, I I agree. You know, sales is one of those skills I feel fortunate to have stumbled into a career because you need sales no matter what, right? And so even though I'm not selling big software solutions anymore, you know, my husband and I are always selling our brand, what we do. And I try to tell people when it comes to sales, and I live by this principle, even when I was in corporate sales, is that it's not pushy. Everyone has this fear of like, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to make people feel like I'm overcharging them. But if you're, if you think about sales as adding value, right? I am solving a problem for this person. I'm helping them achieve something, right? Or get somewhere they want to go. For coaches, I'm helping people with this transformational shift that they need to happen in their life. And that's what they're paying for. If you're able to deliver that and you feel confident around that value, then that's where I think you get that confidence to um, to go into sales. But for me, my husband and I, we've been entrepreneurs since Early in our 20s, we started our uh, first business, which was a food truck. He's actually a chef. We met at Olive Garden in college. I was a server. He was assistant kitchen manager. And so he wanted a food truck. And 
daggum it, we were going to open a food truck, which we did. Um, but for us, I would say it's always the biggest challenge has been around all the hats you have to wear. And so we've started to learn which hats we wear well and which ones, quite frankly, we want to wear and where can we outsource. Um, and I would tell um, entrepreneurs too, especially solo entrepreneurs, which this is one area that I try to help my clients with, is to sometimes think bigger about your business. Because if you're really thinking about your business um, as something that you're just delivering, it's a service, you know, that's only you, or I know a lot of shifts right now are happening from one-on-one to one-on uh, to group coaching, but ways that you can maximize your time. So you're not exchanging time for money all the time. Think a little bit bigger so you can't afford to hire someone, right? Or outsource someone or get a bookkeeper. Like those little things, I think then help a lot to free up your creativity and mind space to be able to then focus on sales and having conversations with clients, which is as a CEO, one of the most uh, important things I think you can do. I completely agree. In elemental entrepreneurship, this is something that we talk about a lot. And right from the beginning, I have people start to just the very simple thing of having a spreadsheet open all the time where you're tracking. What are the things that I do during a day that only I could do? And what are the things that anyone could do, maybe if I train them to, so that even if you're just starting and you're by yourself, you're starting to think, what can I offload as soon as possible? And probably sooner, I think, than you think you're ready to. And really wrapping our minds around the fact that your zone of genius is your zone of profit. Y'all, you've heard me say it a million times. Like only you can, like Brooke was saying, have sales conversations or deliver your service. Anybody could respond to emails, <laughs> do your books, make Canva graphics. You have no business doing that stuff as a CEO. It's not your job. Mr. Ben and or Jerry is not picking out flavors. <laughs> Like they're not doing that part anymore. You can go do something else and you're adding so much more value. And when you're doing those things that only you can do, you're bringing in revenue to the business that you can then pay someone to help you. And we also have to be honest about like either the hats we don't want to wear or the hats we're afraid of wearing, like bookkeeping you brought up. That's a place where so many people are really intimidated and will end up either making huge expensive mistakes or putting it off and creating a problem for themselves because they didn't want to spend the money to get the help. So everyone, you heard it from two coaches, spend the money and get the help before you think you're ready to. <laughs> don't screw yourself over by trying to be everything in your business. <laughs> It's true. And sometimes you're right. Like our first experience when we hired uh, our first virtual assistant, it felt difficult to offboard things because we didn't have everything documented and there was no standard operating procedures. But we got to a point where we said, you know what, we're just going to spend an hour or however long we had every day with our virtual assistant going through things and offloading stuff. And you just, do you know what I mean? Force yourself to spend that time and you'll be amazed at how much people can pick up and learn. And to your point, how many things you actually don't have to do. But part of it's just taking that first step to just let go, <laughs> right? Yeah. Let go a little bit of your baby in certain areas and you go so much further. It's amazing uh, on the things that you start to focus on. Yeah. Y'all, it's, we're going to put this out probably very early in 2023. So if, even if this is your first year in business, don't think you're going to do this later when it's time for you to have an assistant. It's just like cleaning. Like if you clean as you go while you're cooking, life is so much easier at the end. Like if you're documenting what the tasks are that you do as you go, it's so much easier later. Uh, so many people have hit a point, I think, where they're, they're, 
wearing every hat in their business. They're starting to get burnt out and overworked, but they also feel like they're so busy. They can't stop what they're doing to teach someone else how to do anything. And all of the steps for every single thing in your business only live in your head. Your brain is not for storage. It's for creativity. Just like write things down, put them in a Google Drive, put them in a Notion, put them somewhere, put them on a Trello board, have them live somewhere, put them in a journal, put them somewhere that's not your brain so that at some point, also, God forbid, anything happens and there's an emergency and you need someone to do some things for you. You want to be able to easily hand it off. So do yourself that favor of tracking what you're doing in your business. So... I want to, before we pivot away from sales, I would love maybe if you wanted to give people, especially people who feel intimidated by sales, like some of your top sales tips coming from corporate into uh, entrepreneurship, what are some top sales tips you would give people? Absolutely. Um, so I I love, love, love working with founders to talk about their unique value proposition. And so I think step number one, you can Google search it if you don't know a lot about it. There's frameworks out there you can use. But step one in sales is being really, really clear on who your customer is, what problem you're solving, how are you solving it, and what value are they receiving on the other end. And even better if you can articulate uh, in a very concise way how you're differentiated from the competition. If you can do that, and most people are like, I can do that. But when you really get into the framework, it forces you to have a very clear way you communicate with your customer and identify who it is. That will take you leaps and bounds in sales because you're specific on the value you're providing um, to that that customer. Uh, The other one I would say is make sure you're talking to the right person in sales. Um, I always encourage founders, I guess this is like a two-part tip (laughs) because I always consider any founder to consider versus just going uh, be business to consumer to also consider B2B, which B2B sales just means you're selling to a business. No matter what it is you have, generally it can be sold to a business and there's a lot of benefits there. Usually the size of the deal is bigger, right? The way you engage with the customer is different. Um, less effort in, involved from an overarching perspective than closing each individual consumer. It's a slightly different play. Um, but when you do it, you want to know who you're talking to in the business. Are you talking to the reception? <laughs> this receptionist, which not a bad person, the receptionist, but are they the person that can actually make a decision or have insights into what you're selling? And so thinking not just about your customer in terms of describing who they are, but within that like business or where we're going to, who's the actual persona of who I need to talk to, um, to have my thing. Cause sometimes you're just in the wrong place and sell into the wrong, uh, person. And then the last thing I'll share that I, uh, learned early on in a negotiation class is that, uh, the people that ask for more always get more period. And you, we did all kind of little games where we would sit down with, you know, us and a colleague and we'd have little parameters, but we would get to decide how much we wanted to ask for. We would negotiate back and forth when we come to a price. And every single time the person that asked for more got more and the deal, why do I bring that up? I think it goes back to that fear of like, am I overcharging people? How much do I ask? Make sure you're really leaning into um, pricing that makes sense, but don't be afraid to ask for uh, your value. I would say for, um, for whatever it is that you're either selling for your product or services. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think I remember one of my first business mentors when I was in my 20s um, was someone who was coming from corporate uh, publishing world. And 
Have you ever watched 30 Rock? Yes. I used to joke that he was my Jack Donaghy. Like, I was like, How? you just live in a different world than I do. Like, this, like, white man suit world that I don't understand, but somehow we were friends. And um, he was talking to me about negotiation, and I definitely at the time was in this, like, oh, sorry, don't want to bother you, like, asking, like, oh, is that too much? Like, well, I really need $100 for this, but I'm going to ask for 75 because I don't want to offend anyone, like, a very much that place. And he was like, ask for 150% of what you want all the time because they're going to negotiate you back and you want to land at 100% of what you want. And I was shocked at the time. Like, it blew my mind that I was like, wait, you start over what you want. It was just it, that I, re- I, to this day, remember how mind blown I was in that conversation. And I also think about someone I was talking to who was a yoga teacher. And for years they had taught yoga on a sliding scale and it was five to $15. And they said that almost everyone put themselves in the middle of the sliding scale. And then after years, they raised their prices and they made the sliding scale 10 to 20. And then everyone just started paying 15. And they had realized that like, it was so much more about that that the person on the receiving end of the scale is going to be like, well, I'm not the richest person and I'm also not the poorest. And so I'm placing myself in the middle, no matter where really they fell, pretty much everyone in their own psychology worked themselves to the, I'm going to give the middle number. And I think about that a lot with pricing too, is that It's so much more about the process the buyer is going through. We know that as consumers, we're going through our own vetting process of how we're spending all the time. And then so often, I think as business owners, we start trying to mind read other people's pockets (laughs) and guess what they're going to think is a good number and all kinds of other stuff that we shouldn't really be basing our services on. The the number is based on, can you pay your bills? (laughs) No, it's true. And there's a lot more research now that's also going into perceived value and how, depending on who your customer is that you're targeting, uh, people don't want to pay for things they feel like are cheap, right? Unless you're specifically being a low-cost provider. Like think about, you know, Walmart is, you know, that's their brand. We are a low-cost provider. You you know, that's why you go there or uh, in particular for the best prices. But unless you're specifically trying to be that, which I also don't recommend people do, you don't want to necessarily be the cheapest person in the room. You want to be the highest value, right? And so instead of thinking about lowering your price, think about what you can add to your services to add more value, right? To get to that price point you want. But a lot of, there's a lot of research now into the psychology of how people will pay, you know, perceive the value of something for $500 to be less and may not even want it, Versus looking at that same product or service for 5000 and be like, wow, it must really be, you know? It must really uh, be good. Yeah. Right. Look, yeah. Gucci has $600 scrunchies. <laughs> I wouldn't buy them, but people do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there is a market for everything. <laughs> there is. There is indeed. <laughs> so I would love to talk to you. First of all, I, I have to ask this because I can't believe I didn't ask it up top. And I was, I have a guess that I was thinking as you were talking I forgot to ask your sun, moon, and rising in astrology, if you know it. Sun, moon, or, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't believe. Um, I am a Leo. You're a Leo. I was like, she's a Leo or a Capricorn. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely a Leo. Um, and, um, 
I practice a specific type of meditation, but they also, in Ayurveda, we also talk about different types of body types and you can be three different types. I'm also a Pitta, which is hilarious because it's also fire. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I wonder, I'll send you the quiz if you want to take the dominant element quiz. I wonder if you're a fire dominant entrepreneur in our system too. I love that. Yeah. I was thinking about signs that do really well with face-to-face sales and Leo's, of course, like, you know, there's something about Leo's also with communication, because I think as that divine child of the Zodiac, there's something so earnest and pure about when, when Leo's are in their purpose and when Leo's are tapped in and communicating from the heart, there's something very pure that people really connect to and they can tell that you're not bullshitting them and that you're not giving them a story and that like you believe what you're saying. And so I always think Leo's can be really wonderful with sales. I love that. Um, my people will want to know. They'll be, I will get a DM. They'll be like, you never asked Brooke. Yes, I did not know. I I thought you were asking me also about uh, my connection to like a moon sign. I was like, I don't know all of those, but I definitely uh, specifically, of course, know uh, Leo. And I feel like I identify a lot with it. But that's the other thing around meditation and mindfulness too, is like everything is around balance, right? Like any, any of us out of balance and sync can be too much, too little. And the meditation mindfulness has really helped me um, even some of those characteristics that can be dominant, you know, if you're out of balance or too much, it's like now you're a pushy, aggressive salesperson versus authentic. And so it's really helped me kind of balance some of those natural characteristics that show up uh, through my astrology. I love that. Um, how did you get involved with meditation and mindfulness? And do you feel like getting more involved with meditation and mindfulness helped you make the transition out of corporate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I started my first meditation experience on uh, a a 21-day meditation series that Deepak Chopra did with Oprah uh, Winfrey. And so that was my very, very first time meditating. And then after those 21 days, I think it's only 20, 25 minutes a day, but I felt fantastic. I could feel myself being more present. I could feel stress leaving. And I think when you start to feel those changes in your life, especially when you're burnout. This is, you know, March, 2020, um, where the world shut down. We stopped long enough to realize how tired we were We're running on coffee. I was running on coffee and caffeine. I can say that much. And then sadly, my sister passed away in June of 2020, um, from a freak stroke. Thank you. It was just super, super tragic the way it happened in the middle of COVID. This is still before there's vaccines, right? The world shut down. And I was really at a place where I wanted to find more purpose. And I wanted to be intentional on how I spent my time. And I hadn't been. And so meditation and mindfulness helped me through those places. It helped me on the other side of it, realize I didn't want to live life the way I had been living life anymore. I didn't want to go back to a burned out, stressed out feeling, constantly thinking about my job, not really being present with my family. And so it absolutely led to me making those types of shifts and deciding I was going to get off the sales ladder, even though I was in a place I had worked really, really hard to uh, to get to. I had to decide that even though this is where I wanted to go or thought I wanted to go, uh, in the past, it wasn't where I wanted to go in the future. And so I stepped away from a promotion that was to continue on the sales leader path. And I was like, I actually don't want it because that's not how I want to live life anymore. And as I went through that mindfulness journey, I also found my purpose which uh, has just been hugely 
fantastic. I've always loved to teach. I used to teach day. I grew up dancing like tap jazz, ballet competitively, but taught dance for many years, really up until 2020. Um, but when I finally found stillness and started to think about my purpose, what am I called to do? It really was to help other people make these changes and shifts and like uncondition ourselves of how we're living life. Uh, and so it led to the changes I'm making in my life, but also wanting to help and feeling called to help other people make those shifts and find success. Specifically, I think with entrepreneurs and um, and people in corporate, but everybody wants usually more happiness, more success. You want to be able to provide your family, but you want time and you want to do it in a way where you can enjoy it. And I feel like meditation and mindfulness unlocks that for um, for everyone. I love this spot. And I feel like we're kind of in a crux now of, of your story and where you've gotten to and what you're doing. And then all of the different worlds that you've straddled. One of the things we were talking about before we started recording is the corporate culture. And then also I think some of the like um, tech startup culture that is so centered around grinding and hustling in a way that asks us to sacrifice our health and our bodies and to sacrifice time with our families. I know, you know, like being around tech startups in the Bay Area, I was around people who were working, you know, like you, it, this, this gilded cage, right? I used to teach dance at Pixar. So inside Pixar, they have like a cereal and a peanut butter and jelly room and they have a gym and they have a pool and they bring in art teachers and all of this stuff. And then you realize it's so people don't go home. It's, it looks like it's a benefit, but it's because no one's allowed to leave. You're it's like a very fancy prison. Um, and so many, you know, startups I was around, they're feeding you and they're having parties and there's alcohol and they are like promoting this idea of workplace culture and workplace wellness and that it's so fun. But underneath that, there's the expectation that people are working 70 hour weeks and there's pressure to never go home. And if you do, or you try to set boundaries, you're missing out on promotions for sure, or you're just straight up fired. And I know that you now are also still working with people in funding. And something I think about a lot with entrepreneurship is that the the grind and hustle culture of entrepreneurship, to me, so much of that comes out of um, watching tech startup world where you have venture capital behind you. And so there's an expectation of very fast growth because your funders want to see you get profitable quickly. And there's a pressure to grow at a certain rate. And I'm telling on bootstrapping entrepreneurs all the time, you don't have to do that. Like there's not a funder showing up at 2 2 a.m. to make sure there's people working. Like you can slow down a little bit. So I'm thinking about um, what you're doing now in venture capital and and how you are kind of straddling these worlds of wellness and slowing down with what has traditionally been the way that capital works, where it pressures people to move really quickly. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting straddling both. And also I would say with what my, my husband and I do. So we, we have a business that helps entrepreneurs who are not VC backable understand, uh, business credit and how you can leverage business credit for funding. Um, but to the first part of your question before I dive there in there, I will say, one, I wonder who, who actually made us believe that the way to be successful is to not get any sleep. Like think about how you feel when you don't get any sleep. 
You feel terrible, right? Who wants to make decisions? Do you feel like you're making the best decisions when you're in this state where you're exhausted, right? You're supposedly, if you're building a business, solving some of the greatest problems, right? And challenges in the world. Are you in a place to even be able to think through those things and do it if you can't even pause and find stillness, right? To think. Doesn't even make sense. I don't know how we got fooled into believing it, but it doesn't make sense. And so the first thing I try to do is really help entrepreneurs understand the best way to be successful in your goal is to kind of align this principle called the law of least effort, if you're familiar with the seven spiritual laws. But it says we can do more and go further faster uh, when we conserve our energy. And we're not wasting our energy uh, by forcing through life, forcing through nature. And so you get into that place where it's like, man, I really have to do 10 more emails and my body's telling me I should stop, but I'm going to just push through it, right? Get on the other side of it. But those things are actually counterproductive to success. And so I like to have people pause, even if it's just for 21 days and say, let's try something different right? For 21 days, can we see what life looks like when you prioritize your health? So stop working 70 hours a week, right? To your point, uh, make time for your family, build in practices that feel good in the morning, whatever that is for you. For me, it's meditation, it's yoga, it's uh, reading the Bible from a spiritual lens, but whatever it is that makes you feel good, let's make time to do that. And let's make time to pause and be silent and really be able to be creative and be inspired, right? Tap back into your why you started entrepreneurship to begin with. And so I think that's always a um, interesting place for people to start that is unlearning those bad characteristics that we still see show up way too often in entrepreneurship culture. I like to think there's a, a movement now where people are kind of waking up and becoming more aware and like, this doesn't feel that good, right? Like, how can I do things differently? And so those are some of the tips I would suggest. Um, you know, on the funding side, for entrepreneurs, I always tell people to really think about what you're building and why to also help answer that question around, am I going VC backable or not? One, you have to have a business that is going to be high growth to be VC backable. But even if it is, do you want that lifestyle? Because it is a lot of pressure. It is a lot of stress. You are expected to grow at a certain amount. If you're not, there are all types of other ways that you can find funding. And the reason why I talk about it a lot, my husband and I went into the space, is because pretty much one of the number one reasons why businesses go out of business is because of lack of access to funding. People just run out of money and it's easy to happen when you're bootstrapping or you're relying. And when I say bootstrapping, I don't mean... Um, there are different ways that you could bootstrap, but a lot of time people are literally relying on what they can make to... Uh, to fuel their business. And a lot of times it's just not even enough, right? To give your business a good shot. And so you have to be honest with yourself, I think around, like, for example, we had the food truck and um, at one point we're thinking about going to a restaurant. We couldn't come up with, you know, 35 to 50,000 to buy a food truck. It wasn't happening for us, right? It was a huge capital investment. And so we had to figure out ways to, to find it. Um, but on that side, what I'll say is I tell entrepreneurs all the time, step one is make sure you actually know what you're building and how much money you need. And so I walk a lot of founders through like a simple business modeling exercise, but let's just put in there, like, what are you building? How much do you want to make for yourself? Because you should pay yourself. So let's put that in the sheet and then we'll balance how many sales you need to have and come up with a plan, right? That takes into account how you want to build your business. And so we model that first so we can get a realistic expectation of what you need. But then business credit, 
which I actually did not know about it either until maybe five or so years ago. Before um, you go there, I yeah. want to pause you just for a second because this is so important and so good. I want to jump back if you don't mind. Would you give a very quick explanation for people who just have no idea what we're talking about, what venture capital is and what a VC backed, what types of business are venture capital backable? Just so people know if they're like, wait, am I that? Do I know? What is that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, So venture capital is uh, capital that exists. It's usually raised uh, from a fund to invest in super high growth uh, companies. And that can be a lot of different types of companies. But the one thing about venture capital is that it exists to get outsized returns. Uh, And that's a huge point because that's what puts a lot of pressure on the business that we're kind of talking about. And so generally venture capital wants you to be building a business that's at least could be 500 million to a billion plus in revenue. So we're thinking really, really big um, ideas. And again, they're investing their money for um, a specific return and for a portion of the company. So usually whenever you uh, take on venture capital, you are selling a percentage of the company for you're selling that equity for capital so you can then grow the company. Uh, but when you also take the money, you are signing up for specific growth trajectories. And I think that's what we're talking a lot about is you, even if you're building a business that you um, is VC backable, when you take it, what are you signing up for? And you are signing up for, you know, venture capital really, once you take money at the early rounds and those early rounds, they call like seed and then it goes series A, B, C, D plus, but you're really um, getting money to grow the company and hit certain growth metrics to get you to the next round where you then need to go raise more money. (laughs) And it kind of keeps going. Uh, If you haven't heard of it, uh, definitely check it out. Um, And there are a lot of really great stories from venture-backed companies um, that exist today, but it's not for everybody. And what I try to tell people is that even if venture capital is not for your business, it doesn't mean you can't have a great, successful business and find other ways to fund it. Absolutely. And a lot of the businesses that are venture-backed now, we're talking about tech companies, apps. Um, What other kind of businesses now tend to be venture-backed? Yeah, so uh, Fenty is venture-backed. I don't know, a lot of people realize that, but um, if you're familiar with Rihanna's brand, that's a venture-backed company. Um, So you do see some in like the beauty space, but again, they're at big scale. You think about Fenty, right, and how many products they're selling, and it's it's just at a big scale. Calendly is a tech company a lot of people are familiar with. Um, Spanx, still in the women's space, but that was a venture-backed company. <laughs> um, so can be a lot of different things, but I think the scale is the one piece you'll see resonate, whether it's tech, healthcare, beauty, media, fashion companies. A lot of those are also the big fashion companies uh, may also be venture-backed. Thanks, Shark Tank, y'all. When you see those people who are like, I'm asking for $100,000 in exchange for this percent of my company, that's what's going on. (laughs) Love that. Okay, so we are going to talk about, so now you know, if you weren't sure before what venture capital is and how it works, now you have a little bit of a picture of that. So you were about to tell us about working with business credit. Yes, so... I I encourage everyone to get educated on business credit. Um, And when you think about funding, there are a lot of different ways to to fund, right? So grants are obviously awesome because it's free money, uh, generally that you don't have to pay back. Um, But business credit for a lot of folks is also a very viable way. And here's a few things that um, I didn't know when I first started learning about business credit. One, uh, people feel like personal credit, like it always kind of exists. I have personal credit. There are things that report 
business credit doesn't really quite work the same. And so I've met some uh, business owners who've had companies for seven years, 10 years, they're profitable now, uh, and they never established business credit. So guess what? They don't have a business credit profile. And so it's actually a very intentional process that you go through to create business credit. Um, and that's what our company, Outsides Legacy Group, does. We help people go through that process to build business credit. Um, but the benefits of it is when you have business credit, you can actually um, establish credit that lives on its own outside of um of your personal credit. And so a lot of entrepreneurs I know will use personal credit cards sometimes or personal loans to fund their business, right? Uh, And the problem with doing that is that it lives on your personal credit report. And so it really does harm us as entrepreneurs from being able to fund large purchases that um, we may need in our life. So like a mortgage, right? If I've got a lot of personal loans that I took out on my personal credit for the business, it might make it really difficult for me to be able to buy a home. Business credit, if you, instead of taking out personal loans, we're taking out those loans under the business, credit cards, whatever the case may be, and there's all kind of different types of things you can take out. It actually doesn't live on your business credit, on your personal credit, excuse me. It lives on your business credit. So it's not weighing down your personal credit. The other thing is once you actually establish business credit, you don't have to personal guarantee um, the capital that you're borrowing, which is also positive, right? Because um, I would say that is one of the pros that people uh, like about venture capital is if the business fails, then you're not on the hook to repay the capital, right? That you borrowed, that you sold in exchange for equity in your company. Personal guarantees, if you're taking out personal loans and personal credit cards, we are personally always responsible for that debt, right? Could impact our homes, et cetera. On the business side, um, if something happens with the company and it goes down, this was a legitimate business expense, it also keeps you from having to um, continue to leverage, right, your personal wealth and things like that for things that are legitimate business expenses. And so that's why we encourage people to do it. Uh, the types of things that we help with when you think about establishing business credit, you usually have to have a certain amount of lines that report for you to have a profile. And so we go through a process of helping you establish specific lines because um, it is a process like you can't go uh, whenever you first have business credit. If you go apply for something on your uh, business profile from like, I don't know, Wells Fargo or Chase or Big Bank like that, probably aren't going to get approved without a personal guarantee right away. And so we build lines like starting out with like gas cards and different types of supplier lines to get you a profile that then has a history where you can then work your way up to getting um, to just being able to go into the bank and take out loans. So I always encourage people to think about it. I don't encourage people to ever take out debt um, that you're not sure it's going to make you more money or how you're going to use it to make more money. But as legitimate business expenses, um, you need capital, especially if you're trying to grow to that next level. Um, And the other thing is like sometimes bad things happen, right? We look at COVID 2020. Wow. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of people here that were impacted by uh, 2020 when it came to our businesses. Me and my husband uh, definitely were as well. And so unless you're in a place to really weather those storms sometimes with your business, unfortunately, that's where a lot of people have to shut down. And so having that access to capital, even if it's just in case you need it for your business, can really be, uh, I think, a game changer, both in terms of survival, but helping you grow and get started. This is so valuable. And I know my people, so I want to just like speak for a moment to anyone who's um, starting to like get sweaty and overwhelmed. (laughs) Um, If you 
are in a place where you feel really freaked out about stuff like this and you feel freaked out about finances, what we're the space we're in right now. First of all, it's Capricorn season and Brooke and I are in big daddy Capricorn vibes right now. We are giving you big <laughs> earth talk. This is very root chakra. This is where we build the foundation, the safety and stability that our businesses need. And I work with a lot of creative entrepreneurs and spiritual entrepreneurs who like they've got that heart mission. They've got that purpose. They've got that vision. They've got that creativity, but they not a, not a great business background. And historically so many people who feel scared of money, disempowered by money. They don't feel like they're a great steward of the money they have. They have a contentious relationship with money. I say sometimes the creative entrepreneurs like euphemisms have us lost in the sauce. People are like, I want to grow my business, but they're afraid to say like, what does grow your business mean? Y'all like it means I want to have more customers. And what do you want more customers for? It's because you want to make more sales and you want to make more sales because you want to make more money. But a lot of us are even afraid to just say, I want to make money in my business. And so if you have more work to do, more internal work to do around getting comfortable with money, talking about money, and interacting with financial institutions in general, dealing with banks, dealing with loans, dealing with taxes, this is a big part of what makes us feel safe in our business. It's a big part of what helps us make the transition from I have a good idea. I have a service I know I can provide in a way that I know I can help people to I have a company and those things aren't always the same. And so what we're hitting you with today is some very just like straight up numbers based. Here's what you do. And I am in a place now and I can guess that Brooke is too, where I love stuff like that. Like that's the easy stuff in business for me. I'm like, Oh, like, let's talk numbers. This is how much you need to make a month. This is what your business costs. This is how many sales, like this is what we got to price your product at. Boom, boom, boom. Let's go. But I remember being at a place where I in, when you know, it being in business in my 20s, I had a year where I messed up and I owed the IRS money and I just got scared and like slammed my laptop shut and didn't pay my taxes for five years and just made a huge mess of my finances and had shame and had to go back and clean that up. So I just want to say, like, if you're listening to this and you're feeling dysregulated or nauseous or sweaty or scared or clenchy or like, oh my God, I'm not even a real business owner because the idea of like opening a business credit card makes me want to throw up. Just want to invite you to like take a deep breath. (laughs) You can listen, take five deep breaths, slow your exhales down. You can listen to this in chunks. Um, And elementally speaking, that's just water stuff, right? Like you've just got some sacral and root work to do and starting to make um, a decision that you're going to do whatever it takes internally with your emotional work to get comfortable with your relationship with money and your relationship with financial institutions so that you can do your soul work. This is part of it. And if we want to be able to have a business and we want to be able to create safety and stability for ourselves, interacting with banks, paying taxes, all of these things are part of that um, 
that it's a father energy, right? That's what Capricorn is. It's a dad energy. Like it, I, it's creating stability and structure so that you can play, so that you can flow. This creates ease for you. It creates safety for you. It creates stability for you. It creates, we're so much more able, like Brooke was saying earlier, to be creative when we're not stressed about money, when we're not up late at night being like, oh my God, I'm going to run out of cash. I have nothing. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know who to talk to. I feel scared that there's a child part of us that's coming up around money sometimes. And like, it's valid and it deserves your tending and it shouldn't be allowed to run your business. We do not want to run our business from our scared child place. So I just want to, because I know, I know a lot of my listeners are like, oh gosh, this is the part of business that is the most scary for me that this information is given to you to empower you and coming from the perspective I can tell in Brooke, uh, in Brooke's energy and you know it from me if you've been around we believe that you can do this. We're telling you this because we believe that you can do it and there's no reason why you can't. No matter how messed up your finances are right now, even if your personal finances are a mess, like you can fix it, you can get comfortable with this, you can get in control of it and you can learn this stuff and it doesn't have to be something that always feels scary and disempowering to you and you deserve that because your business deserves it. So I just want to like speak a little love to you if you're freaking out right now because we're talking about business credit. Absolutely. No, I, I love that too because you do, and, and that's the thing like so much about life and being a business owner and entrepreneur is about the journey and just grace of where you are on that journey, acceptance of where you are on that journey, but also awareness that every moment in the present is a chance to make uh, a different choice or a choice we haven't made today. And so for some that may be more education, for some that may be releasing, right? Some limitations and things that have kind of blocked, but kind of to your point around one day just being like, I just got to clean it up and I'm just going to do things differently. Like I'm going to take that leap, that small leap of faith to say, what if I tried things differently or believe that I could? And you'll be amazing at how those small steps can uh, can kind of unfold. They really can. And, and I, I read something recently that really stuck with me that I've been thinking about a lot. It's, um, we can also get into this thing of feeling like there's so many problems to fix. Like I have so many problems to fix. There's so many things wrong with me that I need to fix. And that can feel really overwhelming and disempowering. And a more fun thought is that I'm the editor of my life. And in every moment I get to make creative decisions about where my story is going next. And it's so much more forward-facing. And so whatever chapter, whatever page, whatever line you're on right now, it's not that there's a bunch of problems you have to fix, but you do get to be the editor and you do get to make creative decisions about where you're going next. And even if all that decision is, is I'm going to get some help. I'm going to get a coach. I'm going to talk to somebody who can help me through this. Even if it's just like, I'm going to have like a family member. I'm going to have someone come sit next to me while I go through my bank statements with a highlighter. <laughs> like Just whatever it is you need to help you out. Get that help. You deserve it and your business deserves it. And it doesn't mean that you're bad at business. No one teaches us this stuff. If you don't have a business background, if you didn't go to business school, no one's out here teaching this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You. It's true. It's true. That's why, literally, this is why my husband and I felt called to start our businesses is to help get some of this information out. But I will say one thing I was just 
called to mind um, when you were, were sharing that last summary blurb is just around how when we are focused on purpose, and I think a lot of times we don't talk about that, but most people started their business or became an entrepreneur because of a passion, right? Or a purpose, something we were called to do, or it's just part of us, right? Maybe it's art or the certain thing that's just been part of your whole lives. And when you're in that moment and really pursuing that purpose, there's a part of us as well when it comes to being present and focusing on the best action in the moment that requires us to detach from the outcome. Now, hear me out because I know that sounds really scary <laughs> as entrepreneurs. Again, I'm I'm a Leo out there, so you know that this is like really hard for me. <laughs> but we have to detach a little bit from the outcome because we get in this place. And that's why I love mindfulness and a lot of the work I do where you really can get into a place where you're in tune uh, with your purpose, with the universe, with nature, so much so that there is a trust that because of the actions I'm taking in this moment, I'm making the best of each moment, that I know that what I am manifesting the intentions I'm setting, I'm going to get there or something better without having to stress about the outcome. Mm-hmm. Cra- crazy, I know. Better. But try, even if just today you're like, I'm going to spend a day just doing the work I have today and I am not thinking about what if that meeting today got me that sale and I'm not going to let my mind race about that for a week, right? Because I know I did the best I could in this moment and everything possible I'm going to get the outcomes that I'm hoping for by continuing to focus on the present. Mm-hmm. It was game changer for me and how much stress and anxiety I would carry and also outcomes because I tell you, I'm kidding you not. We could talk in a part two and I can talk about synchronicities and all the things that have happened. But when I started making those changes and how I lived life and approached life, that's where things, even though we're opening doors on my coaching journey, just magically started to unfold amazing opportunities, people that I just met on one thing. And then we talk and they're like, actually, I'd love to talk to you about this. And just amazing things start to unfold when you stop trying to control the outcome. It could be something even better than you've ever dreamed of. Yes. And I think that that's so important. I want to, I want to wrap us there. And I also want to tie it back to the idea of recovering from burnout and hustle culture, because something that I, I struggle with, and I know a lot of my clients struggle with that ties the, the, the spirit part of entrepreneurship, the faith part to burnout and to grinding and to overworking is that a lot of us think that we have faith and a lot of us want to trust the process and a lot of us have a feeling and a history that leads us to feeling like the only thing we really trust is our own effort. Like the only thing we really trust is hustle. And the only thing we really trust, like, right, this money comes from hard work, out success comes from hard work. And finding ourselves in these moments where we're like, do I really believe I can take an afternoon off and my business will be okay? Or am I in the space of feeling like if I'm not glued to my laptop 24-7, nothing is happening? And really tapping into believing that. There are a lot of cooperative components at play in the success of your business. It's not all just your hustle and your effort. There's a lot of other things happening. There's other people. There are spiritual support happening. There are things moving under the surface that we can't see. You cannot just grind your way there. And in fact, if you burn yourself out, 
it's not going to happen. So as hard as it is to reconcile with the idea that like you need to be present and mindful and rest and be sleeping well and taking good care of yourself and getting still and you will be successful. I know that can be really hard to trust when we're coming from a place where we feel like I can only count on myself. I'm the only person who's going to make it happen for me. Um, in some ways, that is true. And in other ways, that is very not true. <laughs> yeah. That's why I always say if you can start for 21 days, and this is um, an exercise I do in small groups, but keep a journal and notice like when I am prioritizing health, right? And getting still and becoming more present, jot down. I do every night uh, the th- three things I'm grateful for, three intentions for the next day, but then also noticing what's happening in my life. And so I encourage anyone out there who hasn't been able to really reconcile what you were just describing, right? 21 days, give it a shot, try something different, make that space and time, step away from grind culture, get a journal and write it down. And at the end of those 21 days, just look back and see what showed up in your life and in your uh, work and with your business. And I think you might be amazed at, at what you see at the end of those 21 days. Awesome. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you and learn more about your work? Yes. So uh, my website is thebrookdaniels.com, just T-H-E, Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E, and Daniels with an S.com. And that has more information on it, on some of the coaching and, and resources we offer entrepreneurs. Uh, if you're interested on the business credit, even if it's just educational, we have a lot of education out there that can be found on Alsace, A-L-S-A-C-E, Legacy Group. Dot com. And then I do share a lot, uh, depending on the lens. You can either follow me on Instagram at the Brook Barber or Facebook, same thing, the Brook Barber. Uh, and then I also post a lot for kind of that business community, just where I came from on LinkedIn. And so if you're on LinkedIn, I definitely um, share like maybe some deeper articles and content on LinkedIn than on the other channels. Awesome. And we'll link up all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here, Brooke. It was awesome to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Bye. Bye. That's our episode for today. Thank you as always for being here and for listening to the podcast. I know there are so many things that you could be doing with your time. So many things you could be listening to. It is an honor that you choose to be here. Connect with me on Instagram at intuitive edge coaching or join my Facebook group unstuck group to suggest topics or people that you'd like to hear me interview on this show. Have a great day.